0: Welcome to season two of More Than a Sign. In season one, it was an interview format. We heard compelling stories of strength, courage, and humility. To keep things fresh, this year's format will focus less on interviews and more on how to succeed professionally and personally. These season two episodes will build on one another, so best to start with episode one and then listen sequentially. Let's do it, shall we? As I've said a million times, If you haven't failed, you're not trying hard enough. And if you aren't using that failure to learn and to grow stronger, then what's the point? I've had numerous failures in business and I'm proud of all of them. Let me take you back to one of my favorites for it's one of those failures that has made me far more confident and resourceful. When I was 16, I met a friend's dad that was in the cookware business. He told me that lots of people a few years older than me were making tens of thousands of dollars a summer selling gourmet cookware door-to-door. I said, if they can do it at 20, I can do it at 16. So I convinced my parents to let me take advantage of this opportunity, and days later, on a chilly spring Saturday morning before the sun rose, I was headed to Michigan in my 1980 red Camaro for what my friend's father boasted, was the best training that money could buy. When I arrived, training headquarters was a badly worn ranch home with gravel driveway and an above ground pool in the front yard. When I called my mom to let her know that I arrived safely, I shared with her the picture that I originally had in my head and not what I actually saw. Fortunately, the gentleman that answered the door was a gregarious chap. He looked much older than his 30-some-odd years, as did his wife and the carpeting we were standing on. That night's training consisted of an overview of what tomorrow would look like, basically creating something from nothing. After too much casserole, I headed to their basement to turn in for the night. The next morning, we headed out for training day. I had no idea how formative it would turn out to be. We drove about an hour to a small town whose name I've long since forgotten. It looked just like lots of little towns I drove through a million times in the back seat while my father headed towards larger ones. Here's how that day went. Looking back 40 years, it's hard to believe it was real. We rolled into the small town of a few thousand people and headed to the public library. We were greeted by a friendly older woman that looked like every other librarian I'd ever met. In hushed tones, Gary, my trainer, asked for last year's edition of the high school yearbook. Gary explained to me that in every small town, there's a library with last year's yearbook. We proceeded to a table where Gary had me write down the first and last name of the four dozen or so graduating female seniors. In a flash, we were off. We drove to a small diner for lunch long before I was hungry. Gary surveyed the restaurant and asked the hostess if we could sit in a certain young woman's section. On the way to the table, I asked Gary who the waitress was that he wanted to be served by. He responded, I have no idea, but in every small town, there's a little diner with a young woman working there. I started to worry that Gary might have a shovel, duct tape, and rope in his trunk, but his affable way put both the young waitress and me at ease. Gary ordered us burgers, fries, and Cokes. Couldn't have been later than 10.45 in the morning, and the place was empty. When the Cokes came, Gary asked if she could help us with the challenge that he had. Linda, her name was, offered to assist. I couldn't believe her enthusiasm. Gary pulled a ring out of his pocket that looked like it came out of a Cracker Jack box. Her eyes lit up. He explained that we were tasked with giving these rings to every one of the girls that graduated weeks earlier. He pulled out his list, and Linda slid into the booth. One by one, she told us where we could find these previously graduated seniors. A few moved away, a few joined the military, and one had sadly died. However, we wrapped up with more than two dozen tips on where to find these girls. Gary handed me the ring, still warm from his pocket, and I nervously slipped it onto Linda's finger. She laughed and said, not that finger, and guided me to the right one. She looked at me, at the ring, and at me once again. I could honestly still see and feel her smile four decades later. Gary pulled up to the full-service pumps and lifted his hood. Within 30 seconds, sure enough, out popped Gail. Gary was explaining the mission. He told her about the rings, and I began to panic, for the ring I had just given Linda would not fit on Gail's pinky. He flashed a ring and explained that he was giving these out to graduating seniors who would be willing to sit through a 60-minute cookware presentation while he trained me. She couldn't have agreed quicker. Gary asked where she lived, and she gave us the details. Gary asked what time Mom and Dad might join as he wanted their input, too. Six o'clock, she said. It was a date. As we were about to walk away, he said, hey, by the way, do you have a hope chest? To which she proudly responded, I do. He asked her if she had cookware in there, and she said that she did. It was her grandma's. Surprisingly, it was the answer he was hoping for. We spent the next five or so hours tracking down girls and setting up appointments for the days and weeks after I'd depart. We made four appointments that long afternoon. But first, Gail's appointment. We arrived at 5.50 p.m. and schlepped our trunks full of samples to the door. Always arrive early, he said. Before the door opened, he said, just listen to me, smile when appropriate, and help me out when I direct you to do something. As we entered the modest farmhouse, I noticed it was neat and tidy. Gail greeted us with Mom inches behind her. They greeted us warmly and invited us into the sparsely decorated living room. Gary directed me to help him move a few pieces of furniture around so as to create space for them to sit and for us to perform. The couch and chairs were moved to one side, the coffee table set to the side, and we pulled our trunks to the middle of the floor. As mother and daughter made themselves comfortable, we made ourselves at home on the floor beneath them. Gary unlocked the trunk and said, great, we'll get started as soon as Dad can join us. Mom, with a worried look, left the room. We could hear hushed negotiations that quickly became demands coming from the other room. What felt like an eternity later, Dad entered the room, plopped down on the couch, and crossed his arms. He looked like any middle-aged man might if attending a wedding shower during a playoff Green Bay Packer game. For the next hour, Gary, with modest help from me, demonstrated the life-changing cookware that appeared piece by piece from the trunk. Imagine, Gail, cooking for your husband and children. The laughter and precious moments enjoyed over meals you'll prepare in this cookware. By the end of the presentation, I was sold, as was Gail and her mom. Dad, not so much. How much, he asked. Gary, without flinching, said, Gail, do you have any cookware in your hope chest? A hope chest, which I was unaware even existed, is a footlocker-sized repository for items that will someday be a part of Gail's life with her husband and children. Old cookware, blankets, candles, etc. Gail pulled out a piece of cookware. Next to our cookware, it just didn't measure. How much? A little louder from Dad. Gary responded, You can't put a price on laughter and special moments, Dad. Ordinarily $1,500, but we're running a special promotion today and it's only $1,295 or just over $100 a month if paid over time. Now to put that in perspective, with the help of Google, I determined that in today's dollars, that's nearly $3,600 for the cookware. Gail and mom smiled, dad frowned. Who do you think I am, Rockefeller? Without flinching, Gary said, hey, I don't want you to do anything or buy anything that you don't believe in. You have perfectly fine cookware in your help chest. He started to gather the pieces and put them next to the footlocker. I couldn't believe that was it. No overcoming objections, no persuasive clothes. Gary said, look, I'll do you a favor and I won't try to convince you to buy. If you do me a favor and give me your reaction to some flatware, stemware, and dinnerware we're testing. Okay, they said, feeling obliged. Gary pulled out a cylindrical, velvet-clad case from which he pulled out two plates. Which one do you prefer? Gail chose one, and Mom agreed. He set aside the reject and pulled out another plate. Now which one do you prefer? She stuck with the original. After dinnerware... The same process occurred with stemware and flatware. After 20 minutes, we had a beautiful place setting, again, of the dinnerware, flatware, and stemware at their feet. All of her favorites. Thank you for your input, Gary said. This is beyond helpful. These aren't on the market yet. We're trying to determine which ones are the most popular. Gary spent a minute jotting down notes while I watched the family communicate with only their eyes. Gail and Mom had to have the cookware, and Dad wasn't amused. After what seemed like hours, Dad suddenly lit up like a Christmas tree. His expression, his body language, his demeanor, they all changed. The remaining four of us sat in great anticipation. How much did you say all this stuff is? It's all in the warehouse, but we don't have a price list yet. I suppose it'll be about as much as the cookware if I had to guess. Dad exclaimed, we'll buy the cookware if you throw in the rest of the stuff. Gail and Mom's looks went from great hope to complete mortification. Gary let out a laugh so loud it scared the daylights out of me. Gary said, good try, Dad. So, Dad, what do you do? To which Dad replied, I own a small machine shop. He said, everything I buy or sell is a negotiation. I get it, Dad. I respect that and I respect you. I really wish I had the authority to do that. I'll tell you what I can do. I'll call my boss and ask if I can include one of the three. Dad said, it's all or nothing, Gary. Can I use your phone? Go right ahead. It's on the wall in the kitchen. While Gary was gone, nothing was said amongst the three, but their eyes said everything. Gail was praying, mom was embarrassed, and dad was gloating. I was wondering if dad was hoping the deal would come together or not. Gary returned with a big smile. He said, I can't believe it, but my boss will include two of the three. Your choice. Pick two of the three, the stemware, the dinnerware, or the flatware. Suddenly, Dad said, I don't think you heard me. It's all or nothing. Gail and Mom were crushed and slinked back to the couch. Gary said, Dad, you're a tough guy and a smart guy, and you drive a hard bargain. I wish I could accommodate your wishes. I really do. We'll be in town tomorrow if you change your mind. Gary instructed me to pack up. Now I was crushed. Gary asked Dad how he got started in business. What were your biggest challenges? What did the future look like? Meanwhile, Gail and Mom looked inconsolable. As I packed things away, the questioning changed directions. So, Gary, tell me about your boss. What's he like? Gary went on and on about how he was a great mentor, an expert in cookware, and that he was fair but tough. After a little back and forth, Dad said, Hey, Gary, do you consider yourself a good salesman? Gary's surprise said, Well, sir, I don't know. I guess if I were a good salesman, I would have made the sale today. Dad said, Well, son, you're selling the wrong person. Don't sell me. Get back on the phone and sell your boss on including all three items, and then we'll have a deal. Now Gary looked inconsolable. Well, Dad, you're right. I might take holy hell for this call, but I'll do my best. Gary shuffled off to the kitchen looking like a lamb headed to slaughter. Again, all three sat in silence, this time expressionless. After an eternity, Gary bounded into the room, shook Dad's hand, and said, We have a deal, and he actually hugged the mother and daughter. I was so emotionally spent, I wasn't sure if I wanted to laugh or cry. After ten minutes of paperwork, rivaling a home closing, we made our goodbyes and headed out. I wasn't sure who sold who, but I was glad the sale had closed. As we pulled out of the driveway, I turned to Gary and said, "Oh, that was brutal. Are you in trouble with your boss? After a pause, Gary said, Hey man, I just called home and chatted with my wife. We always throw that shit in. I returned to Milwaukee and spent the summer driving to small towns and following the process. While I only sold one set of cookware, it was honestly the education of a lifetime. I learned more schlepping around that trunk than I did at four years of college. What were my lessons learned? Five jump out. Number one, there's always business if you go out and find it. Gary was right. There's a library, a diner, and Girls with Hope chests in every town. Today, for all of us, we're surrounded by homes with people in them that would rather be somewhere else. We just need to go out and find them. In a market like this, we need to go out and find them rather than waiting for them to find us. Luckily, today we don't drive into small towns. We simply pick up the phone and call people. Number two, take genuine interest in the lives of those that you're selling to. Like Gary, ask questions beyond the immediate task at hand. Listen as much as you speak. Asking one question is more valuable than providing 10 answers. Number three, let others win. In sales, everyone needs to feel like they came out on top. Win-win is cliche, but it's true and it works. Number four, know your product. Looking back, my success didn't equal my effort because I didn't invest the time to become an expert, not only in my cookware product, but in what other cookware was out there. I haven't made that mistake since. Trust is the currency of business, and earning trust is impossible without expertise. And number five, People buy the dream and not the product. Gail was not buying cookware. She was buying laughter and special moments with her husband-to-be and future children. Homes are no different. I don't sell square footage or bedroom-bathroom count. I sell what life might look like if you live there. A home is simply the gateway to the life we want to have and the people we wanna be surrounded by. I'm Richard Reuven, and this is More Than a Sign. Thank you for spending time with me. Remember, we're all on the same team. If I can help you in any way, my email address is richard at thefrgteam.com. Special thanks to my son, Nate, who wrote and performs every instrument on the theme song and is taking time away from his successful music production business to engineer and produce this podcast. I love you, I'm proud of you, and I work every day to be more like you and your brother.